What's up, guys? Welcome back to another daily Bible reading snapshot. Today, we're looking at Genesis 20, 21, and 22, and we're continuing the narrative here of Abraham. We see something bad he does in chapter 20, something amazing that happens in chapter 21, and then something great that Abraham does in chapter 22. So, first of all, remember, all of this is in the context of promises that God has made. And that you need to keep in mind as you approach this text, because you need to remember that's what makes what Abraham does in chapter 20 so bad. So it says he goes into the land and he lies to this guy named Abimelech. And he says that Sarah, his wife, is really his sister. And he does that out of a fear of man. Like he's afraid that maybe if they find out that he's her husband, that they'll want to kill him. But he has a promise from God that he will be the father of many nations. He already has that promise. And that shows that what is happening here springs from a lack of faith in God. The fact that he lies about this and compromises, obviously he shouldn't lie. He's not supposed to lie. But the reason he does that is because he doesn't trust God. And that is put on full display here. And even Abimelech, the sinful pagan king, rebukes Abraham for this. And then it says here at the end, um, in chapter 21, that or at the end of chapter 20, it says that the Lord closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. So the curse, so to speak, on this whole group of people was the result of Abraham. Like Abraham brought a curse basically on these people. And it's not until Abraham told the truth that God opened the wombs again. Which the reason I mentioned that is because what happens in chapter 21? God miraculously opens a womb. So someone is going to give birth. It's Sarah, who's too old to be having kids, really. It says she's 90 years old. So she's really too old to be having kids. But God opens her womb. And I just want you to see that connection. It's like there's so much that's dependent on what Abraham is doing. How Abraham lives out this life of faith. There's huge consequences for good and for evil here. So first of all, Isaac is born. He's the child of promise. That's great news because that means like that's the beginning of the fulfillment of all these promises. But next it says that because this baby is born, Sarah, who remember a few chapters ago, told Abraham to have a kid with Hagar and then they had the baby Ishmael. She is now jealous and does not want them to be around because she basically says, look, why are you around? This is the child of promise. And part of that's true. Part of that is true, that Abraham, if he was to bless Ishmael and give him the, the things that belonged to him, that would have been wrong because Isaac was the child of promise, which is why there's this weird scene where Sarah held, holds some bitterness and Hagar is a little bit bitter and Sarah basically makes up this thing that happened. She saw Ishmael laughing and assumed in her heart that he was sinning when it doesn't say that he was sinning. You don't know what he was laughing about, which also interesting. You see the idea that that Ishmael is laughing and Sarah judges Ishmael for laughing. Remember, what did Sarah do when the angel of the Lord came? She was laughing, right? So there's some irony there that she's judging him for laughing here. But then it says she's sent away, but Hagar is protected by God. God sees Hagar and, and is the protector for her. And she, God even says to Hagar that from this child Ishmael will come a great nation. So that's some bad stuff that goes on here. A little bit of bad stuff with Sarah. She shouldn't have responded this way. But then it says in the next chapter that God puts the faith of Abraham to the test. So after he settles in the land of Beersheba, it says he's there and God says, I have a test for you. He doesn't put it like that, but what he says is you need to go sacrifice your son. Which remember, after all of this, the sending away of Ishmael, all the, all the stock, so to speak, is put in this one kid. And God says, okay, now, Here's what you need to do. You need to go sacrifice him to me. 
That would be shocking. That would be outrageous. And Abraham, instead of asking God why and questioning it and fighting back, Abraham just goes and does it, which again shows that his faith is in the right place. He's really trusting God in his promises now. The New Testament says that Abraham trusted God so much in this moment, he expected that if he actually did kill his son, that God would bring him back from the dead. And the book of Hebrews also says he figuratively speaking did get him back from the dead because he was as good as dead because he goes on this altar and he's laying there, his arms and his and his hands and his feet are all bound and Abraham is about to kill him. But then the angel Lord stops him and says, no, don't do this. Now I know your faith is in me. You failed so many tests of faith before. Now you've succeeded. You've passed the test. And there's so much irony here because in chapter 22, we see so many allusions to the time where God will send his son and will actually sacrifice his son for our sin on this same mountain. And it's interesting. There's a little phrase here. Once you see it, this is Genesis 22, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Interesting. It's like, what is that talking about? Are you talking about sacrifices or, you know, the, the temple that's going to take place later on in, in, in Israel's history? What is he talking about? Well, I think even in that, you see an allusion to it will be provided for us. Our salvation has been provided for us on the mountain of the Lord when someone died, when someone's son died. So, that's Jesus Christ. So there's so many allusions to that. As you read, start to pick up on the, the pointing forward that the Bible does towards Jesus, which I'm not just making that up. I'm not just trying to find Jesus somewhere where he's not. Jesus actually said in Luke 24 that he is found in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So he is in the Old Testament and we're going to see as we keep reading how we can find him all over the place. So that's our Old Testament reading today. New Testament, we're looking at Matthew chapter 7. We're finishing the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus starts off by saying, don't judge others in a hypocritical way, which is interesting as we just read Sarah who judged Ishmael in a hypocritical way. Now we see Jesus's command, don't judge with an exactness and a strictness that you're not willing to be applied to yourself. He's not saying never evaluate, never judge Christians. Like actually that's a command for us. We see it in first Corinthians. We see it um, all over the place in the new Testament, especially in the pastoral epistles where the leaders of the church are supposed to enact that this kind of shepherding oversight of the church to have some judgment and some evaluation. In fact, God even says judgment starts in the household of God. So there is judgment. Yes. Evaluation. Yes. He's talking about here is a hypocritical judgment where you act like you're going to put stuff on other people that you're not willing to take yourself. Jesus says, be careful with that. Take the log out of your own eye, which is a helpful principle for us. Whenever we want to confront somebody, the first thing we should think is, is there a log in my eye? I'm trying to take the speck out of their eye, but is there a log in my eye? Am I, am I blind to my own sin in this situation? And once you do that, I think you're in a lot better place to even have any confrontation with anybody. So then Jesus says, look, you got to pray. Ask and it will be given. Just know that as you pray, God wants to give good gifts. And he wants to give everything according to his will. So just ask for it with faith. And God is going to give you whatever is according to his will. And then it says in chapter 12, or verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. All right, if you want to know a summary of what it looks like to follow the law of God, if you really serve other people from the heart and you're generous and you give and you're self-sacrificing, that's what it looks like to be a person who's following the law of God. But then it says, remember, Jesus com concludes this sermon with four different conclusions. The first one, he says, enter by the narrow gate for the way is easy and easy wide that leads to destruction but the people 
who go in the narrow gate in the narrow gate that are hard to only a few people. So it's a hard thing to enter the kingdom of God. Does that mean it's a long path of trying to do good works to God? That's not the point. But the point is only a few people are going to find this way. The way is Jesus. And Jesus says that in John 14, 6. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So he says that. Then he says, remember, you will be able to recognize every tree by their fruit. You're going to recognize every person by their deeds. You're going to see who's the fakes and who's the real people, uh, the real Christians. Then he says, not everyone who comes to me on the last day will will be saved. He says, not everyone who comes to me says, Lord, Lord, not all of them are going to be saved. A lot of them think they're saved, but they're not saved. And it says, I'm going to say to some of them, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So you pretended to know me, but you continued in your sin. You acted like you knew Jesus, but you didn't really. And the last thing right here says, Jesus tells a little parable here. He says, everyone who builds their house on the rock, that's what it's like to hear this sermon and to hear the words of Jesus and then to do them. That needs to be our perspective. And as you read today, I want you to think, I want to every day take away something and then I want to do it. I can't just be a person who's learning and then just that's it. We want our learning, as Romans 12, 2 says, to transform our thinking, to transform our life. That's what we need to do. If it just stops with our, our thoughts, that's, that's not what it's meant to do. The Bible is meant to change our lives and change our thinking to make us more like Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 says that we'd be changed into the image of our creator. And that's what we want to do every time we come to the word. So as you think about that, remember, what can you learn today about the faith of Abraham or the lack of faith of Abraham, about judgment and about what it looks like to resolve conflicts, what it looks like to pray, what it looks like um, to really know God and to follow him and to apply his word. There's so much here for us. So take something away and make sure you put it into practice today. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for another daily Bible reading snapshot. Thank you.